We are on part two of our series that we kicked off last week called Work is Good. Everybody say, Work is Good. And uh, just to summarize briefly for you, if you weren't here last week, I, I probably won't summarize every uh, week of this series. We've got four of them. Last week, the, the big takeaway for, for me, my opinion on that message is that we come to the understanding, get the revelation that work was created and designed by God in a, in a pure and perfect way, and it was a part of paradise. It was a part of the garden before the curse of sin entered into the world. And so God had a beautiful design for work. Work wasn't uh, a consequence of sin. Work was affected, like everything else in the world, by the curse of sin. But God had a plan for man to cultivate, to tend, and keep the garden that he had put him in. And it said that that would be pleasant to his sight. It would be food for him. So God had great purpose and design in work and labor, which we could also call service or worship to God in the way we go about it. Say it like this. Work was good because it was created by a good God and it was untainted before the curse of sin. Does that make sense? And so when sin came in, obviously we know uh, that, that that broke, fractured things in the world. The, the curse of sin is still hovering over this temporal world, if you will, but Jesus came along some 2,000 years ago to set things right, set them back through a process of redemption and being restored. And so when we give our hearts to Christ, to Jesus, and we put our faith entirely in him, the brokenness that sin created that separated us from a relationship with God is restored. We're redeemed back into a right relationship with him. Jesus is the restorer of all things. He is our redeemer. The Bible says the day of our redemption is drawing near. So think about that for a second with me. We are redeemed right now, those who are in Christ, but the fullness of that redemption still awaits us in glory in heaven on the other side. There's a place of perfection that we will all realize when we come out of this temporal world where the curse of sin still exists. But we are mandated, commissioned, and authorized, let me say it that way, authorized to live in this fallen, broken world from a place of our redemption, which brings authority, it brings victory over all of the things the curse comes against us with. And one of the things that the curse did is it affected man's work. It, it caused work to have the potential to be frustrating and uh, to seem futile or to have drudgery and dread, thorns and thistles that would come up to frustrate or attempt to frustrate man's work. But Jesus says, I came along, I've redeemed you, and now you can go about your labor from a place of rest and through my grace, right? He says, cast your burdens upon me, and, and it's easy, it's light if you let me take that from you, and you can do what you do from a place of rest and a place of grace. He says, cease from your works now, meaning stop doing what you do, your labor, your work, in your own strength, in your own energy, and allow God's strength and power through his beautiful grace to actually flow through you and produce something that's fruitful, productive, that multiplies, that's great, just like the original design of work was meant to be for man. Let me say this. You're meant to love what you do. You're meant to love what you do. I believe that with all my heart. That might be a shocker for some people. That might be a very foreign concept in the way that a lot of people go about their work or what they do. But I'm telling you that according to the written word of God, I believe with all my heart that you are meant to love what you do, most importantly because of who you do it for. And so today, part two is going to be called Work is Meaningful. Work is Meaningful. And I think my uh, strategy or intention in the way I'm going about this is to try to 
present a, a verses of two concepts, if you will, uh, and then come out of here with one being proven and one being disproven. And, and the concepts are, one, work is meaningless and pointless and futile. And then the other one is that work is very meaningful and purposeful. So that's a question to be asked. Is work meaningful? And furthermore, how do I find meaning and purpose in my work? Okay, so let's open up our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We'll spend most of our time in this book today. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to explain some of the context of this remarkable work in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This is Solomon, King Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around toward the north. The wind whirls about continuously and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. All things are full of labor. That can also mean wearisome. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing it, nor the ear filled with hearing it. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? I want you to jump down to verse 13. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now Ecclesiastes can be a difficult book to interpret if you do not take it in in its totality. If you were to just read a few verses, let's say, in these early chapters of Ecclesiastes, you, you might arrive at some false conclusions. Work is vain. There's no point. The wind does what it does. The rivers do what they do. Everything is random and chance and coincidence. What's the point in anything? There's really no meaning in all of this anyway. Okay, you could, you could just read a few passages and think, oh my gosh, that's depressing. That's discouraging. Until you understand the, the wholeness of this writing and of this story. You see, Ecclesiastes is a book that was written by King Solomon in the latter years of his life. And unfortunately, in the latter years of his life, his perspective became very jaded and very flawed. I've always, I love Ecclesiastes because it's soaked with wisdom. It's rich with wisdom. But it always leaves me a little frustrated, frankly, when I read it. Because I regard King Solomon as one of the great men in all of the Bible. The book of Proverbs is just incredible. And I see all of the wisdom and the knowledge and the, the, the great reign that the man had. The Bible tells us there's never been a man who was wiser or wealthier than King Solomon. There have actually been studies even today that have been done that have taken historical references and scriptural references into account, accounted for inflation, and it still say nobody's ever lived that's been wealthier than King Solomon. This was a great man. But what frustrates me, I think, is when I read towards the end of his life where he allowed himself to fall into. And he swayed away from following the God of his heart, the God who brought all the things to him in the first place. 
fact, one of the things it says is that he went on to have 700 wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in this dude's life. That's a recipe for frustration right there. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, a thousand. Amen. Uh, don't take that the wrong way. I'm just saying, that's a recipe for frustration. And so I just always kind of get, you know, a little disappointed, I think, when I see that. But here's a remarkable thing. I think God gives us this full work in Scripture to help us really get an important message, which is the pursuit that Solomon was on through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And that was that when his heart drifted away from God, he went on this journey to, a, to try and find meaning and purpose in life and in work and everything. This is a very key term here that he says again and again in Scripture. You heard several times in the verses I read. He goes on a pursuit to find meaning and purpose in everything in his work and his life. He says, under the sun, which means in the worldly temporal environment, under heaven, only in this finite world. In fact, he makes it quite clear that he's looking at things from the benchmarks of birth to death. When we die in this earth, what does it matter what happens because it's all about what we are doing between birth and death. And in that theory and in that view, he sets out to try and satisfy himself, find meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in everything he does. And ultimately, he ends up proving the inverse of that. He ends up proving to himself by the end of the book, you finally see where he kind of makes this pivot seemingly and comes back around to realize it can't be done. And, and no one is more qualified to give us this perspective and this lesson than the man who had it all. Are you with me? I think that's why God allows us to really take this whole thing in this way, is to see, here's a man who had it all, who had everything, set out to find the meaning and purpose in life and in work under the sun in only a temporal finite environment or perspective, only to prove that it can never actually be found, not with that limited perspective. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We set out to try to, to prove something to ourselves only to end up disproving it and proving the opposite in the process. I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's called The Case for Christ uh, by a guy named Lee Strobel. I believe they wrote a book or made a movie about it also. Essentially, this guy sets out, he was an atheist. He sets out to disprove that Jesus is God and that God is real. He's an atheist. He sets out to disprove that. And in the process of his journey, he ends up actually proving to himself the opposite, that God is real, that Jesus is Lord. He gets, becomes a born-again Christian, and he's still serving God in ministry to this day. It's remarkable. And so that's essentially the gist of this whole book of Ecclesiastes and where Solomon is at. And, and if he's looking, and if we're looking at our work with the trying to find meaning and purpose with a limited under-the-sun perspective, I would submit to you that we will, we will come to the same conclusion that Solomon did, that it's vanity. It's, it's meaningless. It's purposeless. It finds its meaning and its purpose only whenever we establish a view and perspective that is above the sun, beyond death and the grave, into eternity and looking at the whole picture of what God invites us into. You want your work to have meaning? You want your work to have purpose? Then we need to look at what we do with a vantage point that is a heavenly perspective that's looking beyond just death and the grave. And that's what brings meaning and purpose into our whole lives. And when that happens, we are fulfilled. We live with purpose and fire and passion and we're doing what we do, as the Bible says, not unto men, but unto God. Amen. 
So who we do it for is what changes everything. So work is meaningful. I want to I set out to prove that to you today and to help us find meaning in the work that our hands are busy about doing. So number one, these are a few things that the blessing of work and, and the meaning of work is meant to bring to us because God created work for man. He didn't create man for work which suggests that it was something designed to be a blessing and to enrich our lives and to strengthen our dependency and relationship with God in the way we would go about it. So it's a good thing and it's a blessed thing. Number one is it's meant to bring us joy. It's meant to bring us joy. To be fulfilled in it. Again, cultivating the garden, tending it, was to give man, it was to be pleasant in his sight, it to be rich with joy and fulfillment, accomplishment, knowing that God was doing a thing through us and we were doing it for him, that would please our soul. We would find joy in that. Solomon makes an observation in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. He says, nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy the good in all of his labor. So this is where it gets interesting in the way you interpret these scriptures is that Solomon makes observations. He, he discovers some truths, which one of those is here. It says work is good and it's good for man to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Well, that is true. But that is not the end in itself. Are you with me? Just the fruit of the labor is not what brings us joy. Work is not the end in itself, but it produces a blessing when we're doing it with a heavenly perspective and we're doing it for God as an act of worship that we're presenting to him. You see, work is meant, uh, we're meant to enjoy the fruit of our labor. But if we're just Thinking about it from a temporal environment, it's just a means of survival. I just got to make, make a paycheck to put food on the table. And look, it does all of those things. But when we only see it with that very limited view, we miss so much of the beauty of the work process and relationship that God actually invites us into to experience the blessings of. Anybody ever, when you're a kid, just, uh, you hear your mom or your dad say, don't play with the ball in the... House. Some of the dads, you probably hear that too, right? I know I hear that. You get a new ball, a glove, a mitt, and a in a ball or football or whatever, and you know, first thing you do is you start tossing it around the house, you know. But there's walls and there's ceiling and there's windows and then there's yelling, stop, you know. And you think, okay, after a little while, it it just kind of it wears off a bit. I gotta get outside, man. I got to get into some open space and really throw this thing around and enjoy this the way it's meant to be. Let's get the boundaries off of what this is meant to uh, bring me for enjoyment, and let's get out in some open space where we can really benefit from what this is intended to bring us. It's your work, yes, it's meant to bring fruit and food and all of that, but there's way more to the joy that we experience. See, those things satisfy the flesh, which is good, but when we're working for God, it's really satisfying the soul and the spirit man, and it's doing a great thing for the inner man and strengthening us and growing our dependency upon a holy God who wants to assist us in all of the work that we do. That's pretty good preaching right there. I don't know. Anybody understand what that uh, So love what we do and who we are doing it for. And, and the last thing I'll say on this point as far as bringing us joy, and a lot of people get hung up on this. I've noticed this, is um, in certain types of work that people do, they have a tendency to view their work as secular. And it becomes very compartmentalized. It's almost like separated from their faith life. You know, my, my work is secular. What I do is, is not really spiritual, if you will. 
And I just want to encourage you with this, that I don't care what you do, whether it's cutting grass, digging a ditch, making sales, crunching numbers. I don't care what you do. Every form of work has the potential, and I stress potential, for it to be something that is blessed and that is not secular, but actually sacred. In fact, when you look at the Bible and you read the Bible, you start saying, well, some work is spiritual and some work is just secular. I would tell you, the Bible does not actually permit that kind of perspective. All work is designed through God's created order for it, his, his design for it, to have dignity, to have purpose, and to have meaning. Amen? Just a matter of how we go about it. Point number two, work is meaningful. Work is meant to bring increase. It says it's going to produce food and fruit. It's meant to increase, multiply. We see back in the garden, part of the instruction that God gave to man. So when we work and we labor and we do it as our service for God, there's a supernatural kind of increase that God brings about as a result of the work that we do. Let me prove that to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich, meaning someone who works hard and diligently will prosper. Now, people would define that very differently, rich, prosperity. I would just define it for you as this, according to the Bible. It means to have an overflowing cup. It means to have everything that you possibly need to provide for you and your own and to have an overflow for all of the works that God is calling you to do. There's no lack in the kingdom. Prosperity and overflowing cup might look differently in various contexts of our lives and what we need differently to go about what we're doing. But all of us are meant to be prosperous in the work that we do. It's meant to increase. Are you with me? God is the source of all increase. And it's just a side point. Let me say this. Because he's the source of all increase, and part of his plan and purpose for me in my work is that there would be increase from what I do. There'd be fruit from that. I have absolutely no problem with him demanding that I return the first fruits of all my increase back to him, because he's the source of my increase. Let me tell you where that really grows your faith and where it builds your spiritual integrity and maturity. When you know God is the source of your provision and not your job and not your boss and not the economy and not any of those things. I would never disrespect, I mean, I have great regard for employers and people who provide opportunities for people to make wages. I have great respect for them. All I'm saying is as a child of God, we've got to live knowing that's not the source of our provision. God is the source of all increase. So you know that when one door closes or a job goes away or an opportunity goes away, you don't stress because the source of your provision never changed. <laughs> Are you with me? God will open a different door if he closed one door. In fact, there I say he'll open a better door if he closed a door. The source of our increase is God and God alone. When we know that and we live from that faith, it changes everything in the way we go about what we do. I'm not fearful and I'm not vulnerable in my ability to produce increase because of what's happening in the economy or anywhere else in this world. We always possess the ability to go out and labor for the Lord and as a result, increase will come from that. Baby, you could take everything away that I have. You could strip me of everything that I've worked to accomplish in my life. And I'm telling you, as I've spent many an hours praying and thinking about this, I wouldn't lose a day of sleep over it. I wouldn't. Katie and I, we've worked hard for 20 plus years. We've, we've been debt free for years. We've saved quite a bit of money over the years. We've been involved in multiple businesses. We've done a lot. But I'm just telling you, and I want to encourage you with this. What's more valuable than anything that I have saved or put away is the earning potential that God has put inside of me. 
and it's the same for you. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. He says, you go out and use those for me, I'll bless them supernaturally. They'll bring increase and provision, and there'll be abundance. The earning potential that's in you is more valuable than anything you could put away or say. Hallelujah. Our work is meant to bring increase. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 5.18. says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, for a laborer is worthy of his wages. God says, you're going to work, you're going to labor, you deserve to have increase. I've designed it that way. That's fair. That's the way I've made it. A laborer is worthy of his wages. As a side note, man, don't, don't ever cut anybody short that does a good service for you. Compensate them well because we serve a God who has no lack. And I found he'll always put more back in our hands if we're willing to bless people for doing a good job for us. But you know what else it says? Balance this thing out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If anyone does not work... He shall not eat. Whoa. <laughs> Somebody tell that to the government, you know. I'm just saying, no, I, anyway, I don't know. I'm sorry. I did not. Oh, God. No. Oh. <laughs> I feel a little bit freer when it's not the live stream, all right? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, let's. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so the increase in itself is not where the meaning and the purpose is found. That's just a byproduct of doing it for God. Whenever his will and plans are where our meaning is being found. But if we're trying to find meaning and pleasure in the increase itself, we're always going to come up empty. We're always going to fall short. It might satisfy temporally but it's very fading and it's, it's vapor, you know, it's just transient and it, it doesn't satisfy long term. And Solomon found that out. So listen, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, let's start in verse 3. And again, I say there's no one more qualified to teach us this lesson than the man who had it all. Who had it all and said, I tried that, it didn't work. <laughs> So verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom, how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. Now listen to all the increase, okay, and then we'll see what that got him. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself water pools from which to water those trees. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered for myself silver and gold, special treasures of kings and the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on the works that my hand had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There, listen to this. There was no profit under the sun. Are you getting that under the sun term and the meaning behind that? He said, I've, I've increased. I've had more than you could ever imagine. I spent part of my lifetime accumulating all of this stuff and increased to the greatest level of increase. Trying to see, is, is that the meaning in life to fulfill? And at the end of that, what I found was that that also left me dry. That also was void of true meaning and purpose. It was vanity, or meaning it was meaningless. It did nothing for me. I'm still lacking 
in the depths of my soul. The man who had it all screams, I believe, this message to us today. Increase is not where the value is. And what we get, the stuff, is not where the value is. we got to let go of stuff. God has plenty of that. Set our eyes above the sun with a heavenly perspective in mind. You see, Solomon spent his whole life building his empire. He built an incredible one. But at the end of that, he still was missing the thing that mattered most. He wasn't satisfied in his soul. He didn't find true meaning and purpose behind anything that he had accomplished. It was all temporal, and it was all ending when death's door would arrive. He wasn't seeing beyond death in his perspective, in his pursuit of meaning. It's interesting. I was thinking about this because Solomon, you know, he lost the wife of his youth. And he built this incredible empire. And I was just reading over the last week or two, you may have caught some articles on this, but two of the world's richest men who have built incredible empires for themselves, two of them have just announced in the last number of weeks that their marriages are ending. They've lost their wives. One of them is said, I'm, I'm not, my next pursuit is I'm going to space. He says, I'm going to space to basically find meaning because when you're in space, I know that I will be able to find meaning because I'll be able to become one with the world. And I thought, I mean, honestly, my heart just broke. I thought, man, you, you're, you're lost. You, you, you got it all, but you're, you're more lost than anybody, <laughs> you know? See, we're not here to build our empire. We're here to build his empire. <laughs> We're here to build his kingdom. And when that is our aim and our focus, it's heavenly in nature. Our pursuit is eternal in nature. It's beyond the grave. God's got rewards stored up for us in heaven, the Bible tells us. The things that are worldly, the resources that we get now, the Bible tells us that we can use those for God, and then those things become exchanged or redeemed for heavenly rewards and treasure that are stored up in our account that do not, be, that do not get burned up whenever we pass through to the other side. Wow, that's a lot to think about. When I think about God's going to reward me, man, that brings a lot of purpose and meaning behind whatever it is that I set out to do. Solomon built this great empire, and it got him nowhere. And, and the, whole, the whole thing he's arriving at trying to do and say is like, well, it's just, it's all pointless anyway, so let's just be a bunch of gluttons. Let's just suck it up, and let's just get everything we can, and let's just try to fill ourselves with that. Ultimately, he says, well, that didn't work either. But it's kind of this whole, well, life is short, it's meaningless, so let's just live to please ourselves. Let's just make ourselves happy because really that's, that's the best thing we can come up with whenever all, everything is viewed just from under the sun. Let's just satisfy our own man because that's the best that we can do. What's right for you, what's good for you, whatever you decide, that's what's good for you and you should set out to do that and nobody should have the right to tell you you can't. What's amazing to me is that that is so horrifyingly similar to our new age theory and mentality that we're getting into in our world today. And I, I see Solomon's view, and I think this new age, right, it's not so new at all, actually. These were the same things that Solomon wrestled with, tried to say, I'll just make myself happy, and nobody can tell me otherwise. And then he says to us, I tried that, it didn't work. There's no purpose and no meaning that you'll be able to find in that. You'll only come up with vanity. Solomon built his empire. The last point, as far as what our, our work is meaningful, it brings us, is influence. Influence. And it's influence for God. We are meant to prosper, to sell, to grow. God's put these gifts in all of us that are meant to be matured and refined, become greater in their level of 
fruitfulness and efficiency for kingdom work as we walk with God and get strong in our faith. And, and there's influence that God wants to give us through that for him. The Bible would say favor with men. Let me show you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. See, God wants to bring us favor and influence in the world we live in today. In the environments around us with other people. See, how does he do that? Well, one, one way is he wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to excel in your work, to be fruitful and multiply and for people to be able to look on the results of that and identify those results with your testimony that there's a holy, good, and gracious God behind everything that's good and blessed in your life. It brings influence for God. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16, listen to this. A man's gift makes room for him, and it brings him before great men. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. 29, I love this one. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings, not before unknown men. God wants to bless us. He wants our work to be fulfilling, to be purposeful, to be joyful, to have increase, so that we can give a well-established, credible testimony and account of the one who is behind all that great work in our lives. Jesus himself even said it this way. By this, my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit in your lives, knowing that you are my disciples. See, people in the world, they need to see a lot of fruit coming out of what you do. And they should, and you're meant to have that. And by that, they will know that we're followers of Christ. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's not that difficult of a concept to take in, really. God wants to bless you so much that you are a blessing to other people, and it's a witness and a testimony to how good he is. It goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. I want to bless you and your lineage, and your family, that you would be a blessing to all of the nations. And through this blessing, you would declare who the one true God is, and many in the earth would follow me. It's consistent all the way from the beginning to the end of the book. And it's applicable here and now, today, in our lives. Our work is meant to be meaningful, fruitful, and prosperous, that we may give good accounts of the God we serve. But we find this meaning in this purpose only whenever we lift our eyes above the sun, beyond death's door, beyond finite, temporal, worldly existence. Everything we do has the potential and capacity to have great purpose and great meaning if we'll do it for God and not for men. And so let's go, to the, let's go to the end of this thing. Let's jump over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Where does Solomon end up after all of this vain pursuit? Well, I believe he ends up seemingly from these verses kind of, kind of making a pivot back to understanding, okay, really meaning and purpose can only be found when I look, in, when I look towards heaven, not just under the sun. Verse 6, he says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So what he's saying here is, the, the silver cord, okay, this is a very intriguing term in Scripture. You won't see that term anywhere else in the Bible. And it's, I think, pretty clear from the rest of those verses and the, the way he's writing that he's speaking about death. 
the silver cord is loose, the separation of the body and of the spirit, the, the death of mortal man. Only when we look with that view in mind, what's beyond that place, will we start to actually discover the meaning and purpose behind all of this. It can't be found under the sun in just this world. And so he goes on to say in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, every, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. He says, I've searched it all. I've had it all. I've satisfied everything in my flesh that a man could satisfy with what the world has to offer, with what's available under the sun. And I'm telling you, hear the words of the preacher. He says, my son, listen to my words. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. You have to look beyond this life and into eternity and set your gaze and your eyes upon heaven, not what is beneath, the Apostle Paul tells us. Set your eyes above and not beneath, above where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in that view and perspective, you will discover the meaning and purpose behind life and everything involved in that. He's trying to say that to us. I believe God is trying to say that to us today. And when we do, we, we discover, man, there's purpose and meaning behind whatever it is that I'm doing in my life. Wherever you're at right now, and that might change next year, but whatever you're doing has the potential to have great meaning and great purpose and great fruitfulness and great influence. And when we begin living from that motivation, that purpose, oh, I'm telling you, you begin to live with a passion and a fire and a drive that is absolutely inexhaustible. The world can't steal it from you. No thorn and thistle can rob it from you. You can move forward, onward, upward into all the great things God has for you and live with a fire and a passion because of the one that you're doing it for. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, I leave you with this as I close. The the outflow and the outcome of our lives is intended through our work to have supernatural productivity. You can be productive from an earthly standpoint, but I'm just telling you, we're meant to be productive from a supernatural standpoint. The resources of heaven flowing in and the hand and breath of God kissing and touching what we do and multiplying it that it might abound beyond anything that our human hands are capable of producing. That's the way I want to approach my work, my labor, my service, my worship for him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. You are a good and gracious God. Jesus, now, even in this moment, we just, we lift our eyes above what's going on right now in the worldly sense. We lift our eyes to you. <laughs> and when we do, we see a glorious king. We see a perfect, pure majestic king who's loving and good and gracious and worthy of our praise God we see what we need to see that everything under the sun take its knee to your authority in our lives God would you, would you help us just lift up our chin lift up our head just kind of help us to lift ourselves up in our difficult moments and just set our eyes upon you and have a heavenly vantage point through all of our days that we might live with meaning, with purpose, with joy, with fulfillment, with increase and influence.
for you, God. Would you bless your people? Would you bless your church? Would you raise up an army that's mighty and strong to go forth in the world and do what you are calling us to do, God? Hallelujah. Work is meaningful. Amen. Hey, let's worship the Lord before we go today. I'm going to invite our prayer team down here. If you need prayer for anything at all, struggling, dealing with something, going through, you need encouragement, ministry, we love you. We're here for you. We want to stand with you. We've got wonderful people down here. You can just step out of your chair, walk down to the front. The rest of us, let's just give God praise before we go today. Perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, perfect God. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your available today. If you're in a place in your life where you do not know Christ, you know, maybe you're hearing the message this morning, you're hearing about the richness of God's kingdom and of belonging to his kingdom, and you say in your heart, I want that. There's something in you that's saying yes to God right now, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made him Lord. You've heard the stories, but you've never really surrendered to him. Or maybe you've walked with him in your past, but you walked away and you went down a broken road. And much like Solomon, you found this world and everything it has to offer to come up very empty, not be pleasing and satisfying, you lacking fulfillment and joy. You say, I need to get back to walking with Jesus. That's the source of my joy. He's the source of meaning and purpose behind all that I do. Either one of those situations represent you today. I want to give my life to Christ or or I want to come back to walking with him. I just want to lead you in a prayer today to ask God to come in, meet you where you are, and do a wonderful and marvelous work. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment all over this place. You say, Pastor, I want that prayer. That's me. I need to say yes to Jesus today. Whatever that looks like for the first time or coming back, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? I just want to see who you are, who I'm praying with. Be bold. You don't have to be shy. Declare your faith. You say, I want Christ. I want to say yes to Jesus. On the count of three, one, two, three, all over this place. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Yes, your hand I see. God bless you, ma'am. Is there anybody else? I I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to serve him. I want my work to be meaningful and purposeful in all that I do. Praise God. For those of you that raise your hand, listen, I just want to announce to you that God's gift of forgiveness and grace, it's free. It's, it's not earnable through works. It's only purchased by the blood of Jesus. You put your faith 
in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen from the grave, defeated death so that you could be saved. You believe that, you put your faith in that, you turn from the world and turn to Him, then according to the written Word of God, His Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, you're filled with His life, you are born again, and you are guaranteed the assurance of knowing you will live in heaven for all of eternity with Christ. And there's no greater blessing, there's no greater reward than to know we are going to live with Jesus forever. Father, in Jesus' name, for those who raise their hand, I just pray, God, that you would lead them in this prayer, that they say, I would give my heart to you. I turn from the world. I turn to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you closely. I want to know you. I want my life to have meaning and purpose, and I believe you're the author behind all of that. Jesus, that you died on the cross, rose from the grave so that I could be saved. I put my faith entirely in you today. Holy Spirit, would you come to live on the inside of me? Fill me with your life, God. In Jesus' name. For those that also, you, you prayed that. I'm just going to pray this, that God, would you pour down your Holy Spirit right now in fire, God? Would you baptize them in Jesus' name? That they want more of you, they want all of you, everything you have to offer. Would you baptize them, God, in your Spirit? that they would be endued with power, supernatural gifting to walk out this calling that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Well, look, if you're new or newer, we want you to get connected. We want you to get plugged in, move forward in your walk with God. We're here to help you do that. You can talk to our leaders. You can call, join online, anywhere. We just we want to help you move forward in your journey of faith and everything that God has for you. May you go in the peace and favor of God. May he bless you and keep you. May his countenance shine upon you. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. God bless you.